I'm going to go ahead and show you the video that's going to start off the sermon this morning. So go ahead and watch the screen. <laughs> I'm alive! I'm alive! Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, Christine, you're here too. I love you. I know. Dad, what's happening? Honey, the power works. It's coming. It goes on and off. Whatever we want. <laughs> We've got clean water. Oh, that's great. Look at that. Ooh. I bet I know what this does. you a question how many gifts have we been given that we we overlook that that we have taken for granted i mean how many times have god has god blessed us in a in a powerful way and we we just kind of consider it commonplace we we don't even really thank him for what he has done we've been looking at the hidden christmas gifts for the past few weeks um a few weeks ago, we talked about Jesus being the light and Him coming into the darkness to, to bring us home. The week after that, we talked about the grace that we all have been given so that we can be a part of His family tree, a, a part of, a, of the kingdom. Today, we're going to look at another familiar Christmas text. We're going to look at some familiar gifts as well. But sometimes I think they become too familiar. So as we read this text, I want you to think about what God is telling us, what God is giving us in this text. So if you go to Matthew chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 18, reading to the end of the chapter, and this is what it says. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, 
And they will call Him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. In our text, we recognize that Joseph is the one who has an extremely important decision to make. Joseph is the one who's put to the test. Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant. Now, I don't know, it doesn't tell us how he found out. Mary, maybe Mary came to him and said, Hey, Joseph, I've got something to tell you. An angel came to me and told me I was going to be pregnant. And so, hey, I'm pregnant. And Joseph, listening to that story, would say, What? Well, you're, you know, surely you're making this up. No, I'm pregnant, but it's by uh, the Holy Spirit. Or maybe Joseph was walking around through the village and here comes Mary and all of a sudden he's like, Mary, I, I think you're putting on a little weight. You know, there's something going on here, Mary. What is it? It's one way or the other, Joseph finds out that she is pregnant. And because he loves her, he decides to quietly break off the engagement. Or depending on what version you have, quietly divorce her. They've got to understand that in their culture, an engagement was a legally binding agreement. So in order to cancel it, you had to make a legally, you know, had to do that legally. So he would have had to divorce her or do some kind of legal uh, separation of this engagement. But before he gets around to doing that, God intervenes. An angel comes to Joseph in a dream and he tells Joseph to take Mary as his bride. And so, as we see, Joseph accepts the impossible. And he does what God asks him. Now when it comes to the Christmas story, for the most part, Joseph is usually looked at as one of those B characters. He, he's not one of the most important characters. He's just one of the secondary characters in the Christmas story. Uh, in fact, he, he's not even the real father. He's just the stepfather. He, he's just a carpenter. And when you look through the Bible, there's very little about Joseph. And so we look at him and we think, eh, what does Joseph have to teach us? But I would caution you not to look at Joseph as just filler info of the story of the first Christmas. Because his response to the gift we are looking at this very Christmas, this very moment, is an example of how all Christians should respond to the gift we have been given. Now, before we examine Joseph's response, we need to look at the gift. A gift that has been given to us by God, a gift that was mentioned in Larry's communion meditation, a gift that we are all aware of, and a gift that far too often has become far too familiar to us. So what is this gift? Well, the gift that this text tells us about is the gift of Emmanuel. Emmanuel saves is what we are told here in this text. In fact, in our text, it actually says it in two different statements. Jesus, which His name means, uh, saves people from His sins, from their sins, literally means Yahweh saves. And then the word Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
So when you put those together and you realize what we're saying is God came down to save us. The present of Christmas is the presence of Jesus in our lives, both as Lord and as Savior. In fact, the Gospel is wrapped up in just a few verses here. God came down to save us and restore us. I look around and even this time of year, you, you see it, I mean, especially this time of year, you see it on store signs and on people's sweatshirts and they'll say, well, Jesus is the reason for the season. Maybe you have that sweatshirt. Maybe you have a shirt that says, Jesus is the reason for the season. I've said this before, but the truth is, we are the reason for the season. You and I are the reason for this season. Now we are celebrating Jesus' birth, so I understand what the sweatshirt, what the sign means. But the truth is we've got to grab hold of this fact that we're the reason Jesus came. Every single one of us. You and I are the reason for this season. Jesus came to us. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, which I've read, Philippians chapter 2, in pretty much every one of these sermons, it says, instead, talking about Jesus, He gave up His divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. It reminds us that Jesus gave up His divine privileges. He emptied Himself. Jesus did not give up His divinity, but He did empty Himself of His glory so that we could come close to Him. If you remember, no one could look upon the glory of God. If they looked upon the glory of God, what would happen to them? They would die. So Jesus gives up that. He, he sets that aside so that we can come close to Him. There was no question He loved her. He was absolutely bedazzled by her. Surprising, really, because she was plain. Maybe even... Well, to some, else uh, perhaps disappointing. But then, he himself was a poor man who didn't have even two coins to rub together. He wasn't especially handsome either, but he was good, a good and godly man. And he swept her off her feet and won her heart. Now what makes that ordinary story extraordinary is the rest of the story. The story told by Soren Kierkegaard actually begins this way. Suppose there was a king who loved a humble maiden. He was a great king, and he could have whatever he wanted. Every statesman feared his wrath. Every foreign state trembled before his power. They would have all sent ambassadors to the wedding. He realized that if he asked his couriers, they would, uh, courtiers, they would say, Your Majesty is about to confer a favor upon the maiden for which she can never be sufficiently grateful her whole life long. And that was the problem. Even if she wanted to come with him, he would never know for certain if she would have loved him for himself. So he wrestled with his troubled thoughts alone. And finally he decided if she could not come up to his high station and be sure to love him freely, he must descend to hers. And he must descend stripped of his royal power and wealth, for only then would he know if his beloved loved him freely as equals. So he laid aside all his power and privileges and came to her as her equal to win her love. 
Jesus took on flesh to come so we could approach Him and be loved by Him and, and love Him. He had to come. We couldn't approach Him. He was too holy, too righteous. He came so that we could be restored and love Him as He loved us. Now the problem is the Jews could not accept this fact. God in the flesh just blew their mind. They could not accept that God would take on flesh. That just in their mind was blasphemous. And yet John says this, in the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. Verse 11, it continues, He came to His own people, the Jews, and even they rejected Him. Verse 14, So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Listen to how it was responded to. John 8, 58 and 59. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. And at that point, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. Jesus comes in the flesh to show us His love so that we can experience this gift of His presence, His saving of us, His Lordship in our lives. And the Jews rejected it. When Jesus says, I am, He's saying, I am God. Just like God said to Moses, I am. Jesus is saying, I'm God. And what do they want to do? They want to kill Him for it. By the way, I love this text because it appears that Jesus supernaturally just disappears. He had the cloak of invisibility. I don't know. But there He is. He's hidden from them and He left the temple. They wanted to stone Him and He disappears from their sight. And He left the temple. But that's their... That's their their way of responding to Him, I, I want to kill you, but I came to save you. Jesus came to us as God in the flesh to save us from our sin. And the gift of His presence is the greatest gift that has ever been given. But like any other gift, it has to be received and unwrapped and enjoyed. And that's what Joseph shows us how to do. Joseph shows us how to receive it unwrap it, and enjoy it. Maybe you've been taking this gift far, made it far too familiar. Taking it as commonplace, not really recognizing what Jesus did for you. Maybe you need to step it up and respond like Joseph did. See, Joseph received the gift with courage. That's what it takes to receive the gift that we're given. When an angel speaks to a human, normally he tells them, don't be afraid. But in Joseph's case, it is a little bit different. Verse 20, this is what he says. The angel says this, As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. The angel says, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because the angel knew that Joseph was struggling with this because this was a problem for Joseph. This was a huge risk for Joseph. For Joseph to take Mary as his wife means that at the best, people are going to think, well, they slept together before they got married. And at the worst, people are going to think, well, well, Mary's been unfaithful to Joseph. Because everyone knows math. 
Okay, that's only been four months or whatever. They figure it out. It's not that hard. So Joseph, it's a huge risk. First of all, he's accepting the impossible, which God does. And he's also accepting ridicule, scorn, and a destroyed reputation. No matter what, that's going to come. Ridicule, scorn, and a destroyed reputation. Jesus says in Mark 13, 13, And everyone will hate you because you are my followers. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus warns us right up front. It is going to take courage to follow me. People are going to hate you. In fact, only those who endure, only those who have the courage to, the courage to endure to the end will be saved. To accept Jesus as Lord, to follow Him with your life, to live radically in the world's eyes is to be hated. In 1927, the famous English poet and essayist T.S. Eliot became a Christian, was baptized and confirmed. Now prior to his conversion, Eliot belonged to London's Bloomsbury Group, a small informal association of artists and intellectuals who lived and worked in the Bloomsbury area of central London. But when news of Eliot's conversion hit the news, the Bloomsbury group responded with shock and even discussed the writer Virginia Woolf, the de facto leader of the group, penned the following letter to one of her peers. This is what she said. I have had a most shameful and distressing interview with dear Tom Eliot, who may be called dead to us all from this day forward. He has become a believer in God and immortality, and he goes to church. I was shocked. A corpse would seem more credible than he is. I mean, there's something obscene in a living person sitting by the fire and believing in God. Jesus came to save you and to be your Lord. And if you're going to receive that gift, it's going to take courage. It's going to take courage. And I'm afraid far too often we haven't lived with courage. The second thing it's going to take if you want to unwrap the gift is confession. If you want to unwrap the gift, you have to have confession. Listen to what we are told right from the beginning. Right from the beginning. Right in the Christmas story. And she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came to save what kind of people? Sinful people. By the way, how many people are sinful? All people. Jesus came to save sinful people. Jesus left the very presence of God in all His glory, gave up some of His divine privilege to take on flesh so, to, so as to save us from ourselves and our sin. And like it or not, there is no way to receive Jesus without confessing that we are sinful, without realizing that we need Him as Savior and Lord. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 but if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. 
Jesus is ready to forgive and purify if we're ready to confess our desperate need for Him and our sinful condition before Him. You know what? This is so hard for us. And you might say, well, yeah, I've confessed my sins. But lots of times we don't really confess our sins. What we say is something like this. I lied, but I did it to protect you. You know, we recognize we did something wrong, but it, but it, but it was for good reason, right? I mean, we put in these, these buts. I lied, but. I stole, but. I was brought up that way. You know, who are we blaming? Our parents. You know, my parents, they were heathens. And so I steal stuff. You know, come on, it's not my fault, it's my parents' fault. I'm sexually immoral, but they came on to me. Or but, God made me that way. The point is, that's not confession of sin. That's making an excuse. There's a difference. You can't confess sin and say, but. You just have to admit how sinful you are. How far from the goal you are. How much you need Jesus in your life. And I think far too many Christians are unwilling to do that. We think we're pretty good people. We think God's got a set of scales up there, and as long as we do more good than bad, we're good. But if you've done one good thing, I mean one bad thing, you're never good. You will never be good enough on your own. We've got to be willing to confess who we really are. And then the last thing is, if we want to enjoy the gift, we enjoy it by giving control. You enjoy the gift by giving control, and that's exactly what Joseph does. He gives complete control of his life to God. I mean, the angel tells him what to name his child, or Mary's child, his stepson. But do you know what? That doesn't seem like a big deal to us, but that was a big deal in Joseph's culture. In Joseph's culture, guess who got the name of the child? The father. The father. The husband and wife could be discussing names all the, the whole time. Hey, I want to name him, you know, Todd. I want to name him Todd. And the dad could say, no, we're going to name him Buzz. It's going to be Buzz. And the wife could do nothing about it. Now she might say, you're Todd to me. But their real name was going to be Buzz. He gave up his rights. He gave up his rights. He gave up control. In fact, if you remember the very next chapter, you remember the wise men come. Now this is a year or so later. A little over a year, probably two years later. Wise men come. And Joseph's again warned in a dream. You gotta leave. Leave what? Leave your life. Leave your work. Leave your family. Leave your friends. Leave your comfort zone and go to Egypt. Hey, and when I tell you it's safe, you can come back. And what does Joseph do? He does exactly that. Puts it all aside and heads to Egypt. That's how you unwrap this gift. That's how you enjoy this gift. That's how this gift should to transform our lives. And I don't think we've been taking it serious like we should. Jesus came down to be Lord and Savior. Not just to get you out of a pickle. In fact, Jesus Himself says in Luke 9, verse 23, if any of you wants to be My follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross daily and follow Me. He's saying, every day you must declare me Lord of your life. 
and give me control. No matter if even if you want to do something, if it's not what I want you to do, you don't get to do that. You don't get to do that. Last week it was brought to my attention this story. It's found on Fox News, Renee Martinez. Now, Rene spent the majority of his life in and out of jail, breaking into homes, stealing guns, dealing drugs, and getting into fights. But today, this former gang leader, who is 44 years old, who is better known as Level, found a new calling. He, he's preaching, and he's praying, and he's baptizing others in the name of Jesus. And he seeks to save them from a life that he once knew far too well, the Miami-Dade County native has traveled from Los Angeles to the Bronx, and he's just getting started. This is what he said, I lived a very crazy life. I did some horrible things in my life that I know it's only by the grace of God and His mercy that I'm alive and free. I was, I was gang-affiliated from the 80s to 2012. I've seen a lot of people die in front of me, and I've been through a lot. As a young teenager, Level joined a gang, and on Halloween night of 1989, he started what became a notorious gang known as the Latin Syndicate, which grew to 300 members. At 14, he was in a coma and he almost died. Two years later, he was in jail for attempted murder. When his daughter was born, he wanted to be a good father, but he didn't know how, so he started fighting to provide for his family. He turned to bare-knuckle fighting. He became a professional mixed martial artist which earned him the name Level. He faced death numerous times, and he said in 2013, when he was recording gangster music in his garage, he heard Jesus speak to him saying, I spared you, spared you for such a time as this. He said, I saw my life flash before my eyes when a gun was jammed in my face, when bullets whistled by my ear. I almost died five or six times, and all my friends that died, God set me free for a reason. And I repented right there. He says, but it wasn't until I was baptized that everything changed in an instant. When I went into the water, this was April 10th, 2016, that day shifted my life. I ain't never been the same. Something incredible in my life happened that I can't explain. It was Jesus. Only Jesus can do it. And since then, He's been doing street ministry. He's had the opportunity to lead one of his friends, Corey, out of the gang life to the Lord. I gave him the word, and he got baptized, and I started discipling him. He's on fire for God right now. He said, people used to call me the notorious level. He says, no, I'm the warrior level. I'm a warrior level for Christ. I was on the road to Damascus, and Jesus showed up. Saul to Paul, that was me. He's in the process of starting a church and looking at other ministry opportunities to help disciple people from prison and out of gangs. And he says, no matter what situation you're going through, no matter how hard your life is, there is a way out. There's a lot of people that didn't wake up today that are dying right now, and you have a chance to come out of the darkness right now and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that's what Jesus is looking for. People who will stand up against darkness no matter where they find it. Who are unashamed to proclaim Him as Lord of their life. 
who will stand firmly, preach boldly, proclaim to anyone and everyone that there is hope, but it is only found in Jesus. Those who will change completely from what they used to be to what they are now through Jesus in their life. If we are going to accept the gift of Jesus, Lord and Savior, Emmanuel who saves, it's going to require courage, confession, and giving up control. And it's absolutely worth it. So let me ask you, have you accepted the gift? I mean, have you really accepted the gift? Your life and my life will review, will reveal the truth. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come this morning. I, I look at Joseph and I'm, I'm inspired by him. What, what courage. What willingness to step out. Willingness to give control. Willingness to recognize what category of people he fell into. The same we all fall into, sinful. Lord, I, I pray that we would do the same, that, 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 that we would be courageous for you, that, that we would be the ones who recognize who we really are and confess those sins to you, that we would be the ones that give you complete control, even if that means leaving home, job, family, friends, to serve you, to love others, to change lives. Lord, I pray that each of us here have accepted this gift, the gift of more than just Savior, the gift of Savior and Lord. Let the world around us see the transformation of our lives. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.